Hi, this is Patrick Donahoe. Thank you for downloading this week's podcast. For previous podcasts, please go uh, to our podcast website, which is theinvestorsparadigm.libsyn.com. Again, that's theinvestorsparadigm, P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M.libsyn.com. Or you can visit our website at www.paradigmlife.net. Uh, we do have you know a couple years of podcasts on there, and if this is your first time listening, I definitely encourage you to go back and listen to those previous podcasts. There are there's a ton of information on there, a ton of good tidbits as far as what we do, uh, what our financial philosophy is. We also have a, a page on Facebook, so just type in either Paradigm Life or the Investors Paradigm, and uh, you can pull up just a synopsis of uh, what our company does, and you know get links to our previous uh, podcasts from there. Uh, as well. Uh, we also have a blog up. Uh, our blog, you know, we have a couple posts on there, but definitely get onto there and, you know, speak your mind as far as what you think is uh, going on in the economy today. Uh, maybe some uh, some things you agree with us or disagree with us. We'd love to hear uh, your feedback. That, that definitely helps us and uh, helps our listener base as well. Uh, today, I, I'm actually not solo. I have a, a guest in uh, in the office. Uh, his name's Jeff Hotamillo. We We met uh, about a month ago, and uh, Jeff is an awesome guy. He's he's been in financial services for about 11 years. Uh, has been doing financial planning all that time, and you know has has been with several of the big uh, companies here in the United States. Uh, but I'm gonna let Jeff take uh, take the mic and and uh, just give a, br- a brief background of uh, where he's been and, and what he's doing now. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate it. Appreciate being on the the podcast, um, dude. I I appreciate you. anyway so um i like pat said i've been i've been in the financial services industries uh for about 11 years um i have spent some time with a couple of the the bigger companies uh northwestern mutual uh guardian life uh some of those guys uh it's been sort of interesting because i've been able to see um some of the uh when it comes to the economy some of the best times back in the uh, late 90s uh, as well as some of the worst times, you know, for our generation that we've seen, you know, in 2000, um, you know, 98, some of the, or excuse me, 2008, some of those years. So I've seen some of the best and the worst, uh, you know, probably in the last, you know, 20 years or so that's been around. Um, a lot of different. Well, let me, let me ask you a question. Sorry to interrupt, but as far as, you know, as far as this whole, the whole market cycle, Right, we've we've experienced uh, you know a, a couple of huge market shifts in the last ten years or so, right? And I'm sure that you, being in financial services, have uh, you know been with guys that have you know a 30, 40 year career and have seen similar cycles in, in the past. So as far as this whole boom and bust type of cycle, do you think that that's just some phenomena, or do you think it's going to be a reoccurring event? Um, I think. Uh yeah, I think it's gonna. I think I think there's no uh, when when it, when you look at history, you know, when we hear people say, hey, you know, history says this, the stock market's always done this, that type of stuff. Um, I'm not a real big fan of that idea, you know, as far as basing my future on on the history of the stock market, um, especially when you're only looking at at numbers. Well, and, look at well, just look at the market in general. It's like you know, the stock market 40 years ago, right? They didn't have computerized trading. 
right? They had basically guys on the floor that were doing everything. And someone in, you know, Japan couldn't get on their computer and say, okay, I'm going to buy some Microsoft today, right? right? A, lot of, a lot of the trading method was, was antiquated. And you look at the market today, and we're going to get into, you know, the, the stock market and, and uh, some of the characteristics of the stock market. But, you know, basically, you know, just, just looking at booms, booms and busts, there's been a variety of different reasons why economies have boomed and then busted. Right. Yes. And so one, instead of going through, you know, the, the characteristics of, you know, why that why that occurred, the mechanics behind everything, um, how, how have you seen booms and busts affect an individual in, in their investing decisions or their savings decisions? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, uh, you know, booms and busts, how they would affect that. Let's see. Um, you know, when there is a boom, for instance, basically everybody gets right on board yeah. uh, they start they start getting more aggressive with the way they invest money everything's going up everything's get in, going get in, up get in right so everybody's getting into it because really during those times it's pretty you know it's pretty hard to lose and so you don't have to be very smart yeah. about how you invest you can just throw it in any mutual fund or whatever you want yeah. and it's and gonna make go money, up and it's gonna go up yeah um, and then uh, the bus times um, it's interesting to see that people still keep doing the same old thing. A yeah. lot of people keep, they keep doing the same old thing, even though, you know, all, all signs point to, to, to bat. Yeah. Um, but they just keep doing dollar cost averaging, throwing money in there. Um, and, uh, so, so, so I'm going to get, I mean, I, I kind of have a, not a, a conspiracy type of theory behind that. But um, you know, if you go back to the 1920s, like they call it, they called it the roar, the Roaring Twenties, right? It's when the economy had a, a huge booms right after you know uh, World War One, right? Huge, huge booms, right? And and back then, and they created a whole law behind this. It was called the Glass-Siegel Act. But basically, what in, uh, banks couldn't lend could lend uh, huge amounts on on margin, right, to buy stocks, huge, huge amounts. Right. right. And, right. you know, you look at you look at what that did as far as inflating stock prices because it wasn't individuals personal money. I mean, let's say someone wanted to invest ten dollars then into a stock. Right. They might, uh, you know, they might have, you know, basically just, uh, you know, just invested the ten bucks by themselves. But because they had that leveraging, you know, as far as, um, you know, as far as having these banks being able to lend them money to purchase stock. Right, they could invest $100 or $200 into this stock. It wasn't their money; it was bank money, and the banks were basically, um, you know, driving up prices of stocks. Mm-hmm. Right until, you know, into the 19, you know, end of the ni- uh, 1920s, um, you know, the the everybody knew that everything was overvalued, uh, inflated, and the market crashed. Now there was a lot of other things that happened, but that was the primary reason why such a boom and then a bust happened was because banks got involved and basically lent individuals on margin to purchase stock. Right. Right. And so, I mean, how did that affect people? 1929, you had the biggest depression, right, in probably the the country's history. Right. Right. But look at what happened, you know, in in 2006 and 2007. What happened in the housing market? Yeah, it same. It was the same thing, Mm -hmm. right? Well, 2006 and 2007, banks were lending lending to anybody that had a heartbeat. Right. Right. And that lending, people didn't have to put 10 percent down. 
I remember when they had 125% loans on real estate. Yep. Your property was worth 100 grand, but the bank would lend you 25 grand on top of that 100 grand. I mean, it was it was crazy. Yep. Right? It was the same exact thing that occurred back in the 1920s. So why why do you think people just continue to to buy into this idea that everything is just going to continue to go up? Cuz it's like, you know, last year when everything crashed, what are people doing now? They're just keep dumping and dumping money into their 401ks and IRAs, right? And what's going to happen, hopefully, to the market? Yeah, yeah. I think I think a big part of why people, um, I think a lot of it is they don't know any other alternatives is a big big part of it. Um, that's that's what they know. They know real estate. They know they know stocks. Um, I think that's a big part of why they keep doing it. And the other thing is people just like they just they just follow blindly. And they never um, stop to think for themselves. Mm-hmm. They never stop to take a look at the real reasons why things happen the way they happen. Yeah. And they just believe financial planners and the financial planning industry that when they say, hey, the market always trends upwards, you know, all those kind of things, they just hold on to that hope that, yeah. hey, as long as I stay in it for the long haul, I'm always going to go up. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem is, is, is what is the long haul? I mean, the, if, the, if, the, if you knew the next 10 years – you know, it was going to be a bust in the stock market. Who would put any money in there? Nobody would. Whether whether you were 30 years old or 50 years old. Yeah. Well, let's let's back up because you hit on a couple of key points that I wanted to cover today, especially with you because you've been involved in financial services a lot longer than I have. Is wh- where people get advice, right? And you said, you know, it's the it's the uh, the lemming effect, right? Or it's the herd effect, mm-hmm. where people see the majority and what the majority are doing, and they jump on the bandwagon. Right today, how do the majority plan for retirement? They plan through a 401k plan. Mo- most people, right, right, or deferred compensation plan, right. right? And you know, if you look at the history of the 401k, the intention of the 401k was not for a retirement vehicle, right? When the 401k came out, it was basically used to to house bonuses for executives so they can defer the tax on that bonus, mm-hmm. right? And then once pensions went away. Right. That's when employers started to put into this, you know, product, right, of their own type of contribution along with the employee contribution. Right. And where did all that money typically go? The first what was ironic is the first four oh one K money was invested in where the majority of pension money was invested, which was in, you know, bonds and annuities, fixed income, you know, very, very conservative and guaranteed investments. Right. Right. Then over time, we see this evolution of all the money getting into the hands of investment banks, putting it into mutual funds. So that's that's kind of leading us to my my next question is what what was the original purpose of the stock market? Right. I mean, the original purpose of the stock market was uh, to give companies the ability to raise money to expand business. Right. Right. So let's say, you know, you're you're a pretty good dresser, right? And <laughs> let's say that you you know developed this this amazing new watch, right? And it was a sexy watch. It looked nice, and you're able to make it for like five bucks, okay. right? And you're able to sell it for thirty-five bucks, right? So it's a a sweet profit margin. Right. And you and your wife were in your basement, you know, making the watches and, you, you know, you're a watchmaker. Right. And you're like, you know, we we can really expand. Right. Right. So how am I going to expand? All right. So I can go to a bank. Right. And the bank could give me a loan. I'd have to pay them interest on the loan. Right. You can go to investors. Right. And see if investors will give you money. But you have to give them ownership in the company. Right. Or, you know, pay them a pretty large amount of money. I mean, venture capital people, they don't charge cheap amounts of interest. Right. Right. Or you can go public. 
right? Yep. So you you and your wife, you know, you go to an accountant. The accountant assesses, okay, here's what your potential profit is. If this is how many watches you can sell, so it's all speculating on what your business would do if it was on a, on a larger scale, right? And so he prepares all the forms. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into this, but he prepares the forms and you know basically puts you into into the market. You do an IPO, mm-hmm. right? You sell your company in, with individual shares right. based on a value that this accountant determines uh, that's you know according to whatever your business could do if it grew, which is all speculative, right? So let's say you know you consider your business maybe worth a hundred grand. Right. Okay. He rates your business at like ten million bucks. Okay. So you go you go into the stock market, right? And your company is worth ten million dollars, and individuals start to buy your shares. Yeah. So where do where do all those shares? I mean, where's the money that bought those shares go? It goes to you. Right. And then you know maybe you control half of them, half of the shares, mm-hmm. right? And you use that money and you grow your business and so forth. That was that was the original purpose of the stock market. Right. That's right. Right. And then who started to get involved in that whole operation? Investment banks. Okay. Right. Well, first off, you have your brokers, right? And what do in order to get onto the you know the trading platform, uh, what do brokers charge you once you uh, you know once shares are bought and sold? What do they charge you? Yeah, they charge you. Com- commissions, commissions or sales fees. Yeah, they, loads. So they so they they charge all those different fees, which comes out of your your profit. Right. Right. So that's kind of the the top level. So if you look at kind of a pyramid, right at the top is the business owner. Right at the bottom, right, or I'm sorry, the next level is going to be the the broker who makes his fees. Right. And then what started to happen is you had investment banks like Morgan Stanley, Charles Schwab, Fidelity. They got into the mix. And basically created these huge funds that would purchase all of these different stocks. Right. Right. And what do Fidelity, Morgan Stanley, Charles Schwab, what do they start to charge? What do they start to charge? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're not doing it for free. Yeah. More. You just mean more sales fees? Yeah. Just more fees on top yeah. of that, which yeah. takes away from the gross profit. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. where do they get their money? They started to get their money from 401ks, mm-hmm. from IRAs other type of money, selling mutual funds and so forth, which comes from, you know, the American public. So here's the American public feeding this system. Yep. It's not really based on whether the stock value goes up or down. Right? It's based on how much money can be controlled in that system. Because that system is all based on sales commissions and managerial fees. Mm-hmm. So last year, if you look at um you know, if you look at the downturn in the market, which is 30, 40, 50 percent in some industries, okay, does it mean that Fidelity, Charles Schwab, and Morgan Stanley didn't make a profit? No, no, they probably still did. <laughs> they made huge profits. Yeah. Right. And it's 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 sad, but their whole business is not necessarily based on making a ton of money for people. Their whole business is making trying to make a decent rate of return and charging exorbitant amounts of fees. Yeah. That's now, right. along with these, you know, 401ks and IRAs and so forth. Right, it, it's not just the managerial fees, but there's a lot of hidden fees as well. I was watching this special on on YouTube the other week, and um, it it had this guy that lost like tons. He had like a five hundred thousand dollar portfolio, lost a ton of money, like thirty forty percent. And so he has a, had his accountant look at all the funds he had his money in, and there was like fifty grand missing. So he should have had fifty thousand dollars more inside of his four hundred one k than he did. 
Okay. And so he, they started to go in, and, and he had an attorney involved, and they requested all this paperwork from the uh, from the, the investment bank that they were using. And that $50,000 was in hidden fees inside of the 401k that he was in. So it's like yeah. you look at this system, and people buy into the system because look at how big these investment banks are. Morgan Stanley, Fidelity, huge, huge companies. And guess who they pay to get on their bandwagon? They obviously have their lobbyists on, on in Washington D in Washington D.C. to make sure that you know certain laws and things are, are passed in their favor. So it's a it, it's a system that I'm not saying is inherently evil, but it's a system that's not necessarily targeted for the benefit of the bottom investor in that pyramid. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I've always looked at it sort of like uh, you know the. The, the person at the bottom, which is the regular consumer with the 401k, the IRA and whatnot, it's sort of like, you know, you're, you're getting stuff at retail prices yeah. where, you know, the IPOs and the guys way ahead of you got all the stuff at wholesale. Yeah. And so they're just giving you the leftovers <laughs> and, and it, 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 you know, it's hard to make money that way Yeah. when, when you're on the very bottom. Yeah. Well, there's and another thing with these big, and I don't mean to spend a ton of time on this, but you know, you look at these huge, huge companies and these big mutual funds that they create. Mutual fund managers are subjected to certain trading, right? They can only do certain types of trades, yep. right? But you look at this this advent of technology in the market, and you have you know covered calls and other type of options. You have selling short. You have buying you know uh, very low capitalized companies, right? But mut- most mutual funds can't get involved in that type of trading. Right. right. Last year, there were some, you know, EFTs that made a ton of money because they were able to go against the market, right, and trade short, and they had, you know, 30, 40 percent gains. Right. Right. But you look at these huge mutual funds, and they can't do that type of trading. So this advent of new, new age type of trading is affecting, right, mutual fund managers' traditional methodology. Right. So you have, again, the whole point in this conversation is just to show you that this, you know, the investing world or financial services is is a system that's tailored to make money. Right. Now, it's perceived that you're the one that's going to be making money. Right. But at the end of the day, it's these investment banks that make a majority of the money. And these man, these mutual fund managers, I mean, 50, 60, 100 million dollar paychecks is what these guys get per year. I mean, look it, look it up on the internet. Find, you know, if you have a majority of your money in a certain mutual fund or with a certain company, I mean, look at what the CEO of Fidelity makes. I'm not saying that making money is bad, right? But the purpose of those types of investment banks, and they're not really investment banks anymore because, you know, the government bailed most of them out, um, you know, but, you know, these, these companies are for-profit companies. And the profit they make comes from utilizing the money that you earn it's based on your efforts. So let's let's kind of let's get off of that topic. But you know, it's it's an interesting at the end of the day, just how 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 blind people sometimes are when it comes to where their money goes. Yeah, you know, the one other amazing thing I was going to mention to you too is, you know, I had a lot of clients that uh, in years where they lose money in the stock market, particularly mutual funds, they'd still get uh, tax bills for those things. <laughs> And that that was another place. It's like, hey, where's your money going? And you look at taxation because they're continually buying and selling shares with inside that yeah. that mutual fund. Yeah. So you could actually go down in your in your value of shares at the end of the year, yet still have a tax have burden. a tax consequence. That's crazy. It's amazing. So if you if you if you add everything up as a consumer when you're buying mutual funds the way mm-hmm. they do, you add up all the the fees, the hidden fees, the taxes, everything else. If you really took at the tr- look at the true cost of what that is, 
you're going to have a pretty hard time getting ahead in life. And, and that's why most people are saying, well, I feel like I'm not getting ahead. Yeah. Well, if they took a look at the truth of what was really happening, they'd have their answer. Yeah. Instead of just uh, saying, well, shoot, you know. Yeah. So. Well, it's if you look at, you know, right right now there's a huge, huge push for consumers to buy, 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 buy. Stocks and companies are undervalued. It's a great time to get in. It's always been that way. You know, you look at before the 08 crash, people were saying, oh, the Dow is going to 15, it's going to 16, it's going to 17,000, buy, 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 buy. All these companies are deep discounted. It never ends. That type of advice, whether the market's up or down, is never going to end. So yeah. what, I, what I wanted to transition into is, um, you know, where, where do people go from here? Uh, if you look at, you know, between now and the next 10 years, maybe even less than 10 years, there's going to be one of the biggest demographic shifts that's ever occurred in our country, right? And that's the uh, the baby boomer culture, right? So over the next you know three thousand days or eight, nine, ten years, okay, what are what are some things that we're going to see in just the whole demographic of the United States? Well, to give you a basic background, those of you who don't know what the baby boomers are, they basically say it was uh, this this uh, kind of boom in births between 1946, so right after the war, World War II, to 1964. Okay, was the was the time period, and um, if you take a look at the numbers, you can see that there's a big boom from 1945 to 1946, like mm -hmm. like uh, a million more births or something like that, if wow. I remember right. And so there's this huge group of people that have gone through, and every phase of their life, they've had a huge effect on the economy. And this is this is in the United States specifically. Um, and so whether it's diapers or baby food or formula, you know, during those years, all the way through getting them educated in college, uh, there there was a big impact on every single phase of these people's uh, lives. And so. Um, if you if you take a look, it's it's kind of interesting. If you if you look back at the stock market, and you looked at like the Dow Jones uh, from like 1902, you'd see that it's it's like a teeter totter as far as the ups and downs. So it'd go up, down, up, up, down, down, meaning positive, negative, and it looked like a teeter totter for a lot of years. And then when 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 you take a look at it in 1980, something really goofy happens. Um, all of a sudden, from 1980 to 2000, so for a 20-year period, there was only four negative years during that 20-year period. Wow. So the question becomes, what caused that? Because it was it was not normal if you take a look at the history of the stock market. And by the way, your financial planners are typically basing your future off those 20 years because uh, they're taking the last 20 or last 30 years in your projections. So, so the question is, what caused that? And I've heard everything from Bill Clinton helped that out yeah. to the tech boom in the late 90s, mm -hmm. um, whatever. But, but what I believe really caused that is that is that a couple things happened. We talked about the history of 401ks, mm -hmm. and they were really introduced in the early 1980s. And all of a sudden, so you've got this huge group of people that are now educated and working in the workforce, and now they're putting money into 401ks. So now this, the U.S. stock market ha is, is seeing more money coming into it than it's ever seen in its history. Interesting. Okay. So there's a ton of buying. So tons of buying. New money coming into the stock market. So, so if there's more money than it's ever seen, what can we naturally suppose? You know, it, Was that a reason why it just Price, went up and up prices, and up? Prices went up. Yeah, it's going to drive it up naturally. Well, that could, be, that could be another reason why investment banks during that time – became so popular because here they see all this money flooding into the market, right? And they hire new fund managers, they create new, I mean, there's 
thousands of mutual funds, right. right, started to create all these new things to help people diversify, new products, et cetera, so that they can uh, appeal to these individuals who are flooding the market with money. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so you know, so you've got all this new money going in there. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that that was probably the biggest reason why the market went up so much that 20 years. Mm-hmm. None of the other reasons had as much effect as that. Um, and, uh, so, so the question is then, all right, so looking into the future, um, we know these baby boomers are now starting to retire. I think, I think, uh, was it maybe 2006 was the first year they hit, uh, 2007, maybe. I think like February, 2007, I okay. think it was, it may be a 2006. First year of the baby boomers retiring. And, um, so, so if, if the same kind of thing happens over the next 10, 15 years, because what we know is we know that over the next 10 years, there's going to be more money coming out of the stock market than going into the stock market. Nope. In fact, I think, I think uh, you gave me a number the other day. Explain that, the, the amount of money that's, that's moved around in the market versus how much – didn't you talk about a peak – yeah, so so right now it's it's estimated that there's uh, about eleven eleven trillion dollars uh, of the market money is baby boomer money. Now thirty, forty, fifty percent of that was lost last year. So that eleven used to be over twenty, right? And so you you look at just the enormous amount of money that was, and um, and then you look at the savings nature of guys you know that are in their thirties to forties. Right, they're that are not saving or contributing anything to the market. Right, right. Over the next ten years, you're gonna see, and it's, it's these are all estimates, right? But you know, between three and four hundred billion dollars per year is gonna be withdrawn from the market. Now, indiv- you have to recognize that it's not just for income. Now, there's 80 million baby boomers, right? And if you times, you know, 80, I can't, I, that my thing won't even sustain that type of calculation. But 80 million baby boomers that are taking thirty thousand dollars a year for income. Right, that's that's you know two and a half trillion dollars per year. Now, I'm not saying that every baby boomer has money in the market because they don't. It's estimated about 60% have money in the market, um, but you they have to maintain their lifestyle. And thirty thousand dollars per year for 80 million baby boomers has to come from has to come from somewhere. Right. Right. But when they start withdrawing money from the market, it's not necessarily just for income. They're taking money and putting it into annuities. Or they're taking money and they're putting it into money markets. Or they're taking money and they're putting it into CDs. And then you have, you know, the government required minimum distribution, right. which means at 70 and a half years old, they are required to take money out, right? So you have all these different factors. One, baby boomers are spooked because they don't want another 2008 to happen to their retirement, right? Right. right? So right now, I mean, I've, I, a lot of my clients are baby boomers. And, you know, a ton of them are leaving money in their 401k, but they reallocated money to bonds, monies to annuities, money to fixed income, because they do not want to see that type of downturn again, right? And once they're able to start pulling money out without penalty, they're going to roll it into annuities. They're going to roll it into, uh, you know, money or investments that are guaranteed and fixed. So that flow of money out of the market, when there is more selling than buying, it's simple economics. The market is going to go down, and it's going to go down big time. Yeah, and that's that's not even considering. So, so we know there's going to be more money coming out than going in because of the the, the census information. I mean, same reason Social Security is going bust and everything else. Yeah, uh, more people retired than actually more people taking out of the system than putting into the system. Yeah, uh, simple economics. And the other thing is, though, e- even there, let's take a look at that next generation. You know, what is the financial industry s- still teaching us? 
Well, when you get within 10 years of retirement, you need to start selling shares and stocks uh, and putting them, moving them into cash, cash equivalents, just like uh, uh, Patrick was just saying. And so you've, you've got that generation that's going to be sucking even more money out of it um, because that's what financial planning is still teaching us. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's so, so the amazing part about this is if you look at, if you look at the next 10 years, if, if you guys believe what we're telling you here, um, I can't imagine sticking much money in the stock market uh, personally <laughs> yeah. at all. If you really understand this, and I'm not basing it off of, well, the last 20 years, the last 30 years, who cares? Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at what's what the things that we know, and that's what we know is the baby boomers are, are moving through this this last stage of their or their retirement stage. Yeah. Um, and uh, so make your decisions based off of that uh, rather than you know what the market averaged over whatever period of time because who cares? It's meaningless. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's even pro- even from the standpoint of being a good steward over your money. Could this not happen? No, sure. I mean, the, the market might be sustainable. You know, kids between you know the age of 25 and 45, they might be they might start saving 10, 15 percent of their income. They might be putting a lot of money into the market. That that may be the case. Maybe they approve um, you know illegal immigration, and now you know people that are here illegally are legal, right? And then they start putting money into the market. There's all sorts of things that could make this not happen. But my question to you is, it's a guarantee that these 80 million million baby boomers are going to, one, take their $26 trillion of promised benefits in Medicare, they're up to $10 trillion in Social Security benefits, and that money has to come from somewhere, right? So right now, there's a lot of things that are working against the future. And so my question to you is, if you earned your money and that was hard-earned money, you have your education that backed the means by which you created that money – all your hard efforts, why would you gamble with that money, especially now? Looking at all these things are going to happen. Now is not the right time to continue to follow tradition. Yeah, Pat, and going back to your sort of original question is, you know, how do, how do people, you know, invest their money and, and, and why do they keep doing what they do? It's sort of funny. I got a little story. Um, uh, you know, the things that we've always been taught from financial planning is things like uh, um, uh, dollar cost averaging, buy low, sell high, uh, diversify, you know, asset allocation. You know, you guys have heard all these terms a million times. And it's funny because uh, after 2008, um, I was talking to a good friend of mine who's a, a CFP, sort of a master's degree in financial planning. And uh, he's been in the business about 30 years. Uh, he's in his early 60s. And uh, he finally came to me because I've been preaching this stuff for years, long long before 2008. And uh, you know the baby boomers and, and and get your money out of the market. And uh, he came to me. He goes, he goes, Jeff, I'm finally starting to see a little bit of validity about what you've been teaching people. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally, he he said he it, it is amazing because he goes, Jeff, listen, you know we have been we have been putting these people you know in asset allocation models. And for those of you that doesn't don't know what that means, it's basically diversifying between different types of shares whether it's large mid or small cap type companies domestic overseas you kind of diversify the money the whole concept there is that if you're diversified enough even when there's downs in the market you're always going to trend upwards that's the whole concept behind that and that's what the most financial planners teach and 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 how a lot of them run their money especially for you folks who are just you know out buying mutual funds sticking it in your Roth IRAs and things and he he said to me he said he said Jeff it's failed 
That's his words. He says, it's failed. He said, everything I've been teaching my clients and everything I've been doing for them, this idea that it's supposed to always at least go up, even though if other things are going down because you're so well diversified, it's failed because everything's down. <laughs> and I thought that was interesting coming from him. Say, you know, So he's basically saying, hey, you know what we've been teaching this whole time, it's failed. It's just proven that it's failed. Along with many other strategies that, that that have been taught, you know, when 2008 came, a lot of stuff failed. And uh, but the amazing thing is, two weeks after that, so we're talking uh, maybe February of this year, so 2009, mm -hmm. so a few years after the market tanked, or a few months. Um, I'm listening to a radio station. The lady's on there talking to the the guru, and uh, saying, you know, what what's your advice for us? You know, we're all nervous. You know, us consumers. What what would you advise all of our listeners to do? And the same old junk came out of the guy's mouth, and it made me want to throw up because he said he said you need to keep buying, put your money in, dollar cost average. Right now it's low, so now we, you know, the same old stuff. Asset allocation, you know, diversify your money. And I'm sitting here thinking, did this guy just not see what happened to everybody? No. Did he not see it? And and how do you feel good about still teaching that? You know, and the, the the sad part is they don't know any other way. Yeah. That that's the reason. But it's it's, well, it's we don't it's have ignorance. to follow that. It's ignorance because yeah. they don't know. It's it's not like okay, well, you need to put your money in this, that, or the other because all that they know is the stock market. Mm -hmm. Because if you ask, I mean, this is how I grew up. It's like you know, you when you think of an investment, everything points to the stock market. That's it. You invest in the stock market. How else would you invest? People just don't know what their options are. So to kind of wind down, I mean, we could, dude, we could talk about this for yes. e eons, but kind of to wind down, I mean, the, the purpose of this podcast is really to get you to a point, you as listeners, to become educated. You know, we have a 30, free 30-minute consultation. Uh, you can give us a call, and we'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. There's no obligation whatsoever. Our phone number is 800-870-8670. That's 800 870 Seven zero, or you can email us. Uh, we have a couple of pretty neat articles that explain this whole this whole idea. Uh, our email address is info at paradigmlife.net. That's p-a-r-a-d-i-g-m life l-i-f-e dot net. Don't put dot com because it's like a Jap or a Korean massage website. So definitely check us out on online. You know we're on Facebook. Look up Paradigm Life. Or the investor's paradigm. Uh, you know, check out our website and our blog, www.paradigmlife.net. Um, you know, thank you again for listening today. Go back and listen to previous podcasts. There's a lot of juicy, juicy information. But, uh, but Jeff, I want to thank you for uh, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you thank know, you. I, I know you're a, a smart guy and you have uh, have the the education of experience, and so I appreciate you coming on. And we'll probably have you on again too. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. Okay, all right, everybody, have a great week. And again, uh, to give us a call and, and schedule your free 30 minute consultation, our phone number is 800-870-8670. Take care.